Welcome to Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color for people of color and everyone else. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, senior pastor at St. Mark's AME Church, Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendro School. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And we have a very special guest joining us today. Gia, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, everyone, and hi, listeners. My name is Gia Vang. I'm one of the morning anchors at CARE 11 TV, one of the MBC affiliates here in the Twin Cities. Welcome, Gia. And, of course, she's also, um, you know, one of our first Hmong anchors in the country. So we went yay for that. All right. Awesome. Thank you. And happy to have you here. Um, so before we talk about our, su- our our subject for the day, I want to wish everybody happy Lunar New Year uh, and happy Black History Month. I feel weird saying that. Like people are like, happy Black History Month. And I was like, I feel weird saying that. But um, also happy Lunar New Year to every year of the tiger, which stands for, you know, perseverance and bravery and wisdom and strength. And so hopefully that's what 2022 brings us. Fingers crossed. Uh, That being said, uh, our topic today is uh, actually from a a listener, and it relates to the very Asian movement. Gia, can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for your interest in the very Asian movement. I'm super excited to share with you what we've all been working on. Um, This, obviously, if you've been following the story, it started from a really ugly moment, um, my friend Michelle Lee, who is a anchor reporter in St. Louis, Missouri, um, she was working on New Year's Day and had a really quick segment on what people eat on New Year's Day. And it was very American food like cornbread and peas and, you know, those sorts of things. And um, then she added a line and she said, and, you know, for Korean families, they eat dumpling soup. That's what I ate for New Year's anyway. And that was all she said. She let it go. She got some really positive comments, people saying things like, hey, thank you so much for mentioning that. I didn't know that. Or thank you so much for being inclusive of um, the Korean culture and my heritage. And that was all wonderful until a couple hours later when she got a voicemail from someone who was watching the segment and um, left a pretty long voicemail, more than a minute saying things like, you know, your Asian anchor this, this today had said something about eating, um, Korean food during New Year's. And I felt like that was really wrong. And she was being very Asian and annoying and she should keep her Korean to herself and went on to say, you know, if a white anchor did that, they would probably get fired. And so Michelle, posted the voicemail, did not post who it was or this person's identity or or a phone number or anything, posted the voicemail, just um, letting people hear it. I think um, because it is something that people of color go through and endure. And so she was like, you know what, I'm just going to put it out there and let people decide for themselves um, what to think about this. And people were angry and they were upset. Um, And so was Michelle. She was really hurt as we've gone through the motions of talking about it so much now. Um, 
she was at first laugh. It was like laughable for, for a lot of people. I think who were listening to this, I thought it was laughable at first. And I was like, wait, what? Like who in their right mind would. And then once you let it sink in, it's almost like, wow, where did that come from? And how, um, but honestly, Gia, like being people in the business, I was surprised there was only one call. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've done public affairs television programs and most we get a lot of calls i've gotten calls about i mean seriously most of the calls that we got were like what was her your anchor wearing today why was she wearing that outfit or that color doesn't match you know most of the calls is really about the outfits that that they're wearing um and so i was like oh i was surprised we only got that she only got one call i've booked I've booked guests on TV shows before that had a slight accent and we got, you know, six calls like I couldn't understand that woman at all. Or why do you have a woman wearing a hijab on the screen? We don't need that. You know, that kind of stuff. And so when I, I was like, I was kind of like, oh, it was just one call. That's actually kind of good. <laughs> and you know what? Who's to say that there, it wasn't more comments or view viewers somewhere who made that call or emailed somewhere? But this was the specific voicemail that made its way to Michelle. Our followers on Facebook may have seen the photo I shared of me wearing my Very Asian shirt the day I got it. I was so excited to put it on. And this was one situation where I thought, you know, oh, this horrible thing happened. Um, you know, it, it happens all the time to to us, you know, when it's not new to us and that it was just going to go away like like all the other stories. But really, it's uh, it's taken on a new life and there's a whole movement behind it. And we're lucky uh, that our guest is one of those people behind that movement. You know, it's it's interesting. The This reminds me of the comment section in the um, Cheerios commercial, the interracial Cheerios commercial that came up. Um, you know, it's to, to your point, Lee, I, I had the same surprise space in that, you know, I see this in comment sections all the time. Um, and so this one coming to light, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as, as, as we listen to this. Right. So 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 we have this this um, this assumption or this expectation, because I, I heard uh, the recording and there's this there's this thing and it's hard to, to put words to. But it's something that we encounter very often in 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 that trying to put words to this kind of this this air, this voice or this assumption that because I make this statement like this, that that. Um, there isn't going to be any pushback. And absolutely, right away, as folks began to, to bristle at what this, 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 this caller had left, um, I began to see things on some of the, the chat rooms that they don't know that I'm in, and I'm going to stay quiet about it so I can continue to listen to what, what's talked about in them, um, but uh, began to go around talking about people being overly sensitive and things like that to something that was extremely disparaging and disrespectful, like clearly um, you know, indirectly. And yet we are yet again in a position of having to not only explain why, but 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 somehow to defend why it makes sense to look at this in the way that we should. And um, and, and, and that has been problematic listening to some of some of the things in those airwaves unfold. Here's a clip that Michelle shared on her Twitter. Hi, um, this evening, your Asian um Tinker uh, mentioned something about being Asian and Asian people eat dumplings on New Year's Day and uh, kind of take offense to that because what if one of your white anchors said, well, uh, white people eat this on uh, New Year's Day? Um, I don't think it was appropriate that she said that. And 
she's being very Asian and I don't know. Uh, she can keep her Korean um, to herself. All right. Sorry. Uh, it was annoying. It's because if a white person would say that, it, they would get fired. <laughs> so say something about what white people eat. So. All right. Thank you. I'm just curious, you know, what, what, now that this has happened, <laughs> you know, um, and we get this, and we got the, the variation movement, um, I'm, I'm just curious what, what the response space has been like for you. Yeah, um, the response has been overwhelming and in a good way. We have been so, so uh, grateful for the outpouring of support. Really, it's been from all corners of the world. Like, we put this together um, within a couple days. Michelle, this happened to Michelle on Saturday. Um, she said, do you think we can do something soon since there's so much movement behind this? And I was like, yes, absolutely. I had a partner um, who is in the design space. And so he was able to help us like navigate through the programs and the different systems. And we put it together by Sunday. We had something ready, but we didn't put it out until a couple days later just to get like our ducks in the row. And um, it has been so incredible. And we're so, so thankful that so many people feel very Asian along with Michelle and want to reclaim those words from that viewer to say, this is something not to be disgusted about because of the way she said it. There was such a negative connotation to it. This is something to be very, very proud of. And we wanted the next generations to feel that they could have um, the the power and the, the, the feeling of celebration when they think about their identity and their very Asian identity. So there are so many parts of this that really strike me, Gia. So if you allow me just a couple of, of uh, steps towards that, first and foremost, to be clear, it was a report on food, right? It was a food segment. So this was not out of context. Uh, first and foremost, right? So that the listeners understand that it's not as if it was a report about some technical aspect of anything and that she made a, a non sequitur comment, right? So, so there's that. But e even, uh, even if it was, does that, well, does no, that but really yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, you know, uh, being really clear in terms of expectations and sure, how sure, inappropriate yeah. it was, right? And then secondly, I think it's it's so powerful that what she did, what Michelle Lee did was to share that voicemail publicly, because what it does is it really disarms this uh, shroud of secrecy and anonymity that people, particularly those of the racist mindset, right, uh, they they have a shield of anonymity when they make comments like this. And so to be able to um, share it publicly like this, even though she didn't share her name, I mean, she knows who she is, <laughs> you know, and people have heard her voice. Uh, and that anonymity is is nowhere anywhere there to protect her. So uh, I'd love to hear your comments about just, the decision of, of making that well-known and making that recording public. It was really hard for Michelle to make that decision. Um, she was feeling so many different emotions as we talked through it, but um, she was like, at the end of the day, I do not want my child to live in a world where this is okay. 
And so she shared it. But I think also there was a power in her not sharing who this woman was and just sharing this voicemail because the sentiment is there for people like this caller, right? We know that people like this exist. It doesn't have to be this specific person attached to this number. It could be another person who feels exact same way. And so I think there was a power in the anonymity too, in that, you know what, I'm going to let the voicemail speak for itself. And, um, and people really responded to that. And they said a hundred percent, like this is wrong. And so I think, I think there's also a power in just like letting the voicemail, just putting it out into the world and having people decipher what she said, which was pretty clear when she doubled down on many things. You know, I think, I think that, uh, um, not just the power of her, of her doing that, but so often when incidences like this happen to us, and when I say us, I say collectively us, uh, who come from various communities of color and, and the indigenous, uh, native population to this country, um, and in the situations that you two find yourselves in, um, it would not be uncommon for someone of our ilk to step up to defend ourselves in a situation like this without having to overcome the fear of, uh, of it backlashing and we losing our positions. I mean, I feel like, like Michelle took a very big step in exposing um, not just this caller and what the caller did, but she took a big chance that it wasn't going to ricochet back. Because how often have we had cir- circumstances where things like this have kind of ricocheted back on us? And um, so I want to commend her for that also. Well, not Absolutely. just that, but her, her station and, and Kara Lovin even for yep. uh, her being able to release that statement. I mean, like I said, when I was working public affairs and we were getting comments like that all the time, I wasn't allowed to address that publicly. Right. It was like, OK, this is just, you know, we get these listeners all the time. And then usually there were like older people who were, you know, at home and eat at the evening and didn't really have much else to do. And we just OK, you know, so I was really surprised to hear how young this woman's voice was, because a lot of these calls that I got were from like, you know, usually from older people. And so that was disappointing. Yeah. And, and I think it, we should be clear, too, that Michelle had these the same uh, conversations internally, Don, about, you know, Gosh, after she posted and after the response immediately of we support you, she was like, "Ooh, am I going to get fired over this? Should I have done that? You know, she had those thoughts because there is a power dynamic when you are a person of color putting something out there that is very truthful and authentic to your experience um, of uh, organization that is mostly white led to really understand where you're coming from and why you decided to do that. And so she had all of these questions too, after she posted it. And I reassured her that, you know, the response that it was getting, there was no way that any company could, could say, Oh, you know what? You need to clamp down on that. You need to clamp down on your message because how would it look if a company did that too? So I would say, yes, kudos to care 11 and kudos to Michelle station in St. Louis for um, really just allowing this to blossom the way it has blossomed. And also, I would say, I don't know if they had a really, really a choice at this point. I can't help but to um, follow up on on your statement here when you said, you know, being our authentic selves. That was one of the thoughts in my mind is we live in a society where employers and the business community constantly are saying, 
We need employees to be their authentic selves. We need leaders to be their authentic selves. But then the the footnote and asterisk is often, unless you are BIPOC, right? Because when BIPOC folks begin to, and we've covered this in previous segments on counter stories, when BIPOC folks become their authentic selves, there are plenty of folks in the workplace who are not, who don't identify as BIPOC, who become uncomfortable, right? They're too loud. They're too this. They're too Asian. You know, they're, they're something, right? And, and their sense of uniformity, code for the same color of skin <laughs> is disrupted all of a sudden, right? And, and folks then feel somewhat inconvenience, threatened, you name it, right? So that's the other part that I, I want to just lift up for our conversation and our listeners to think about that, particularly folks who don't identify as BIPOC. What does that mean when you do see BIPOC folks trying to be authentic? And are you allowing and, and encouraging BIPOC folks to be authentic without any repercussions, without saying you're being too loud, without saying you're being too Asian, you know, without saying I I feel threatened, you know, by how you are positioning something. Uh, and I don't know if you want to speak to to that level of authenticity anymore further beyond that before, the, you know, we go on to the next question. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And I think for a lot of um, BIPOC people and people of color in our industry, I could speak to our industry. I know that the feeling has been um, what I felt where I got into this industry and I thought, you know, for the for beginnings of my career, oh, I need to be a certain way. I can't be loud. I can't be very Asian. I can't do this, this, this and this. That makes me who I am. Um, because it would make other people feel uncomfortable. And I think then you get to a point of, you've lost your yourself throughout this process because you've tried to conform into this person, into this anchor, into this reporter that you think is expected of you because it doesn't threaten people, because it doesn't make them nervous. Um, and I think when you've done a lot of work on yourself and you want to come back to your authentic self, what does that look like? And it looks like breaking down all the, all the conformity that you've done over the years and really saying to yourself, okay, what do I want to do with my platform? What do I want to do with the power that I wield? And how do I share that so that other people who look like me can feel empowered? Right. And so I think that the, that there is something to be said about, um, conformity. And then sometimes the journey takes you on this windy road and you have to figure it out for yourself, you know, how you want to present how you want to express yourself. And, you know, at this point in my career, I'm, I'm like, I don't care what anyone says. I can be very Asian. I can say whatever I want about who I am and where I come from. And, um, you and I can have a conversation if you have questions. But, um, I think a lot of the things, uh, a lot of my instances where I have been very Asian in my workplace, um, people don't ask very many questions. I think they 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 feel uncomfortable asking questions, and so if they're not going to ask questions, I'm just going to keep putting myself out there, you know. <laughs> and and you can you can continue to learn. Absolutely, I, I think it's it's unfortunate, Don, that that um, you you don't have this for your class, your racial uh, comparative racial dynamics class again, because there's so much to break down and unpack just in the state in the statements that were made. Um, you know, first and foremost, the the 
the the likening is somehow um, being being Asian or ex- exemplifying something that is outside of this white norm is itself an attack against that white norm. This is some mentality things that are are are, are a big problematic piece now. Um, it 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 struck me her response, um, you know, because she talked about forty two years in this body, forty two years experiencing this discrimination, and for and some of that being actual violence. I mean, let's be clear. It's one thing to be able to make this 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 this, ero- this ridiculous statement, um, you know, in this voicemail anonymously online, but there are real repercussions for people of color. Just this past week, Pilgrim Baptist Church had to face a bomb threat. The first black church in in in, in the city uh, in Duluth, Minnesota. You you all heard what what happened to me shoveling outside on January sixth when somebody yelled a racial epithet from a car. You know, there are folks who have real experiences, right? It's this. It's this type of mentality that if we don't take seriously, we try to write off as an individualized thing, and we don't realize that all it is, all that's, all that 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 in waiting are folks who want to act and prove themselves to this mythos of whiteness in the United States that it looks a certain way that doesn't even isn't even inclusive of most white folks, um, and then you have things like folks like Dylan Wolf trying to take actual action around that. So I just. You know, I, I think there's some really important things to unpack just in the words that were said and even in, 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 in her response, which I think was powerful. The last thing I'll say is I, it gave me life to watch her silent reaction with her water bottle uh, when this was going on. Like I could <laughs> those unspoken reactions um, were, were were just uh, it, it was just it was there was some real solidarity that I felt rising up in me watching those because I was like, sister, girl. I, I see you. I want to be in the face with you right now and go off. But I'm just going to sit here and, and sip my, my water bottle. In addition to Anthony's examples, what immediately came to mind was a 40-year-old woman, Michelle Lissa Go, who was pushed onto the tracks of an oncoming subway train just last, just weeks ago, right? Uh, and was killed. I mean, that's the anti-Asian hate we're seeing right now. This is not... This is not something we're making up, you know, and, and that's only one of many examples, of course. And those are only the examples that make the news. There are plenty of examples that don't make the news around our country, around Minnesota, quite honestly. Uh, so, you know, I, I yield to you on that. Yeah, I was um, going to say that to Anthony's point, um, Michelle responded in such a powerful way because she was saying, I am not going to allow this caller to other me, to other me and that I'm not American because Asian Americans have felt the othering for the 200 years that we've been here. We have felt the perpetual foreigner um, dynamic, right? And so Michelle was like, that invisibility, I'm going to just like throw it out the window and say, I am here and I've been here and I am also American. So the fact that Michelle was like, I did talk about white people's food, actually, <laughs> you know, all those things I listed in this segment, they were white people's food. And you know what? <laughs> this is as, as I'm talking about dumpling soup, that is also very American. So there is no, for, for us as Asian Americans, there is no, we are American. And so that there's, there's that piece. And then, um, yes, there is also the other piece that there is a rise in anti-Asian hate. And now we're finally just tracking it and finally measuring how bad it really is. And so, um, when we think about AAPI hate, we think about, um, we know that it's, it's targeted mostly towards women. 
uh, specifically Asian American women. And so this was another version of that. And uh, this is when we said, you know what, we're going to reclaim very Asian and say that's something to be proud of instead. So Gia, I also, just a, a few minutes ago, you did speak about pressure to conform. And, you know, I, I think that's something that we can unpack even further. I mean, just within my own circle, and I, and I would I would dare venture to say among all of us, we all have friends who had to do this just with names, right? And having to anglicize an Asian name. I have plenty of Hmong friends who have had to anglicize their names uh, or Somali friends. I mean, the list goes on and on. Can you speak about that as well? Because that's the other part that if you think about it, I mean, a name is your identity, right? And and how you've had to then had to relinquish that because of societal pressures is just so difficult that most non-BIPOC folks, I think, A, have never had to do that. But secondly, with what is their proclivity for actually wanting to do that, right? In terms of having to submit to that. Yeah. Th- thank you for that question, Luz. I, I'm actually in the process of myself wondering about my own name because my full name is actually Ngongjia, which, um, as Lee, as another Hmong woman knows, um, it means like woman, female, girl, and then Jia. So, you know, there's a lot of Ngos out there. There's Ngongzo. Um, Ngongli. Yeah. Yeah. My sister's name is Ngongli. <laughs> and so, um, there's a lot of these, these thoughts right now as we have come to this point where we are learning more about, um, you know, how to really live our authentic lives and how to really in, in, embrace and incorporate, um, how we've grown up as a Hmong person, um, in America, what that looks like for us. And I'm so proud of the younger generation, like people like Chinu Her, um, who is in Des Moines. He's one of the Hmong Inkers in Des Moines who has hundred percent said, I'm always keeping my name Chanu. And while my name is, my full name is Gongjia and I've gone with Jia for my uh, career. Um, I've often thought about, okay, whose decision was that? Was it a, de- a decision of, you know, um, going to school and teachers couldn't pronounce my name. I used to get Geogia. I used to get Georgia. I used to get all of these different pronunciations. And did I say, you know what, to make it easier for everyone else, I'm just going to go by Jia. And, um, or was it really like, I liked the way Gia sound and I wanted to keep that, you know, whose decision was it really? And it might be both, right? Um, but I've come to this point where I'm, I'm, I'm questioning, you know, um, what I want to do with my name and how I want to live, live, um, in, in this very authentic way, because there are pieces of just Gia Vang that are very much me. I have a friend, her name is Qian, Julie. And Xian is her Chinese given name. And she came here to the States, wrote a book called Beautiful Country. And when she wrote that book and published it, it's a New York Times bestseller now. She said, you know what? I want to also acknowledge the name that I gave myself living in America. And it was Julie. And she gave that name to herself. And she says, Julie was very much a part of my experience too. So now she goes by Qian Julie. And I, I think that that's also true. Like all of these things can be true in that, you know, Gia has been a part of who I am. And also Gongia is very much a part of who I am. And so how do, how do I then want to land in a place that makes me feel that this is really, uh, um, comfortable and this is where I want to, to sit in how I want to present myself when it comes to my name. 
Yeah, I've gone through so many variations as well <coughs> of my name. We, we have a whole episode where we talked about that. So, Gia, um, can you talk a little bit about um, what came out of um, kind of this interaction that, that Michelle had with the listener and, and how you kind of got involved in all this? Yeah, so um, I will also just say that Michelle did talk to the listener and she and I have both talked about how difficult racism really is. Um, there was no satisfaction, I think, from Michelle. She did accept this person's apology, but there was no satisfaction. And I think that takes years and years and years of work to undo something like that, right? So um, Michelle did accept her apology, but I got involved because Michelle and I connected during the Atlanta spa shootings. Uh, there was six Asian women who were um, targeted, killed by this man of, uh, who, who was white um, and two others who died during that whole ordeal as well. And um, there were a lot of journalists of color, especially Asian women and Asian journalists coming together to just really bring solidarity and support each other during that time. And Michelle and I had never met in person. We only met um, through social media and we messaged each other, just checking in on each other to make sure we're okay. And so we connected in a really horrible way too. Um, continued that relationship. And so when this happened, I reached out to her immediately and I said, I'm so sorry this happened. What can I do? And she said, you know, I'm not really sure right now. And so I just publicly tweeted on my Twitter, you know, using the hashtag very Asian because I felt like in that moment when that caller said she was just being very Asian, there was like this like visceral reaction in me with those words of how she said it. And I was like, you know what? What's wrong with being very Asian? Let's reclaim that. And so I used the hashtag very Asian first. And Michelle immediately said, what can we do with that? Can we make this like a t-shirt or something? And there was this outpouring of support. And so um, luckily, because I have a partner in that space, we were able to make this happen very quickly. And uh, Michelle and I have been working together ever since. And uh, it's been so crazy. The first, I want to say 24 hours, we got like 1500 uh, orders um, from around the world. Um, we're talking like Hong Kong, we're talking Korea, South Korea, we're talking um, Australia, Canada. So just so many orders in the first 24 hours. And um, then we just kept going and only did it for a week, but it was just so crazy. And now we're shifting into the Very Asian Foundation, which is a foundation that's going to amplify AAPI voices and marginalize AAPI voices. We know that uh, within the Asian American community, there are disparities. Um, I come from the Hmong community, which uh, when you talk about income and home ownership, uh, it, poverty is a, is, is a thing for our Hmong community. Home ownership is a thing for our Hmong community. Um, and we have very, very rich Asians. We have very, very poor Asians, right? And so being a part of this in that way has been um, super fulfilling for me. And then Michelle being a Korean adoptee. So she has a completely different experience than I do. Um, she lives in an Asian body, she, but she was raised by white parents. And so um, coming to find herself again, to figure out her identity and reuniting with her birth family um, from Korea, those are all aspects that I think make up what the Asian American experience looks like in this country. We are so diverse and our experiences are vast and we want to make sure that those uh, stories are amplified um, with the Very Asian Foundation. And then also 
we're going through the motions of figuring out, okay, how do we make sure that storytelling and journalism is involved in this? Because this is what she and I both do. So that's where we're at. Wow. You know, gee, I would have loved to have you um, when I was teaching. One of the classes I taught um, first year social work students was a class called Comparative Racial and Ethnic Analysis. And in that class, the purpose of that class was we would break the students up and they would study uh, four different BIPOC communities, Asian, Na uh, Native American, um, African American, and uh, Latino. And for the Latino, Asian, and Native American communities, we would have to have lengthy discussions because of the wide range of diversity that exists. So in, in, in the dominant culture, they have taken hundreds of different languages and cultures and clumped it under this one term called Asian. And then they've done the same thing for Native Americans. Because there are, what, over 570 federally recognized tribes and almost just as many different languages and cultures. And same thing with uh, Latino uh, uh, communities. There are so many different Hispanic and Latino communities, and so we would we and and uh, so we would break that down because categorically there are so many differences between income and jobs and experience. You know, when you look at the history of this country, which is getting harder to do because of efforts from from uh, various communities throughout the United States we're seeing we're seeing uh, um, you know they're they're passing state regulation now to limit what can be taught and how it's taught you know under the guise that if you're teaching something that makes a white student feel uncomfortable it can be banned I mean so you know and 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 um but, you know, this country has a long history of uh, the, Ch the Chinese Exclusion Act in terms of Im immigration. Uh, there were court cases where um, a Japanese individual sued to become a citizen because he, you know, when they were using eugenics, he fell under the category of being Caucasian until the Supreme Court said, well, no, you know, no, we can't allow you to become a citizen because we know what Caucasian is. So even the Supreme Court broke their, you know, their standard at that time. So there's a long, long history in the United States, uh, including the internment of the Japanese during World War II. So, you know, and I just, I bring this all up because I know that you know, we're recovering from a presidency where a lot of this Asian hatred was really brought up because of how he kept referring to um, the bane that's, that's troubled this country for the past two years and how he kept referencing that. And we kept seeing um, more and more bodily harm being done to um, Asian, Asian, our Asian uh, community members here in the Twin Cities. There were incidences. And, what, and, and unfortunately, it was lateral, it was kind of collateral, lateral uh, violence between our, uh, some of our BIPOC communities where we were even seeing this. And, um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, 
it it paint it it just blows me away that something so benign as a comment about dumplings because my mother made dumplings. My mother's Native American from Malax, from here. And what what does dumplings have to do with being very Asian? Yeah, I just don't get it. Um, but there's a root, you know, that there's something deep inside that woman that was triggered that we see triggered all the time here in this country. And, and, um, you know, and it's something that we, we talk about on counter stories quite a bit because we've all experienced that. And, um, you know, I want to get, you know, it sounds like this thing hit and it, and it, it took off and, but, what I heard you say is that it's morphing into a foundation. Where do I get a very uh, a very Asian T-shirt, or is it too late? It sounds like I missed a boat on this thing. No, you absolutely did not. You can still get a very Asian T-shirt. It's very um, Asian US dot com, and that's where you can get a very Asian T-shirt. It's um, not the original designs, but it was a design that was created by AAPI women. Um, and so that one is out there and we're hoping to get back some of the original designs. But yeah, that is, uh, thank you for saying that, Don. I, I do think that we're living in a world right now where, um, people ask me all the time, okay, so this very Asian campaign, it was so successful. Um, what do you think about the world that we're moving into? And I, I always am very realistic as well in that I believe that we live in dual realities. This is why we can elect a Barack Obama and then elect a Donald Trump year after, uh, election cycle after election cycle. Because we have people um, like us who are doing the the work and fighting, and then also we have people like the caller who exist and still believe that um, you know uh, anyone who doesn't look like me as a white person is threatening to me. So I do I do want to be realistic about the world that we're living in and moving into too. But I also think it's really important to continue doing the work. You know. I, I loved the um, conversation I had with some of the, because I pastor a church in Duluth, and so I'm at these conversation tables where I encounter some folks who, some of whom share the views of the woman in that call and, and have to go in and have these conversations with, with folks. Um, and, and this triggered something in, 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 in a couple of the folks in one of the discourse circles, and it reminded me of that moment since we were talking about the previous election cycles where John McCain is giving a town hall and there's this older woman who, who kind of goes on a little bit of a, of a rant and he hands her the mic and almost immediately regrets it <laughs> because while, you know, he was he was in this in this they, they went to the, the mentality went too far for him to him himself. She was like, I she she made a statement akin to, you know, um, I don't trust him because he's Muslim. And John McCain had to literally take the microphone back and walk away and just shake his head. And go, no, 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 no. Look, look, look. <laughs> You know, I may be in a fight with this guy to, for the presidency, but you ain't just going to come here and start and start start that kind of mess. No, no, not in my in my space. And I got a, there was a very similar sense in some of these conversations where folks folks were on the on the edges of this types of mentality, not even realizing that's what they were, but feeling like somehow they're and they're losing something. And then some an experience like this makes them go, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I don't want to be a part of that group. I, I, you know, and so they they were stuck. It, it opened the door is what I'm trying to say to a very different type of conversation. And, and so, you know, and, and, it, and it, it, it connects right now to this space where people from many people of color from many different spaces are just done. We're done, you know, trying to jump through hoops. We're done trying to sugarcoat. We're done trying to, to conform to, to the comfortability of, of, of dominant culture. And we're just like, look, you're just going to get it how you get it. And, 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 and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stand on who I am and you are going to have to be the one 
to carry the weight and the work. And so I, I love that approach of this, of, of the, of, of this work is because it's, it's not trying to take on the labor of the problem. Instead, it's just, it's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to put my energy into being me. And that's so much more healthy than what we usually get pulled into with things like this show. Yeah. And and just to your point, Sue, I think uh, one of the things that Michelle and I have talked about is it's been really important because as Luz mentioned, we had uh, two years that we know of measured AAPI hate, right? And shifting that and evolving it into a celebration of Asian Americans. And that I think has been uh, what has really spoken to a lot of people, a lot of Asian Americans of my gosh, this is the first time that I've been so happy to be Asian American because I have lived through the last two years and it's been really, really hard. And so I think, I think there's also that's that, 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 um, dynamic that's been really, really critical to why very Asian has been so successful is there, it really is a celebration of being proud of being Asian American. I have a question that I think we should all ask ourselves, and I I would invite our listeners to also ask themselves, what if a person of color, and I know I know the likelihood of this happening is is, is pretty much uh, zero to none, right? Uh, what if a caller called in and accused a white anchor of being hashtag very white, right? Because I, I think until you put the shoe on the uh, other foot, people don't really resonate, right? So I want folks to sit in that discomfort, uh, you know, our listeners to ask themselves, what would that look like? That, that tension, right, of, of having someone actually accuse a, a journalist, right, of being too white or being very white. We know clearly that white anchors constantly weigh in on on different news stories. I mean, you see the banter all the time, whether it's on, you know, Good Morning America or uh, Care 11 uh, TV. I mean, and it and it's supposed to be endearing of some sort, right, is to make them more human and, and make them more authentic. Right. But yet you've got one simple statement and and it and it's. It's just filled with this hatred. And I, I, I just can't help myself but to think that, um, not everybody has, has turned it around to challenge themselves and dig deep in terms of their identity and what that would look like and that discomfort and what that would feel like. Right. So that brings me to my next question, which was really a, a listener question was, um, now that this, very Asian has, has become so popular. Everybody's gotten behind it. Um, lots of folks, non-Asian folks are wearing the hats and the t-shirts. And she's like, I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling some kind of way about it. Come right? on, please. Like, Go there. Um, like, I love that they want to support the movement, but it's almost as if they're claiming they're very Asian by wearing this. And so she was just like, I don't know. I, I, should I feel angry? Should I feel happy they want to support us? You know, she had these really mixed feelings about it. So I'm really interested to hear uh, not only, Gia, what you think about it, but what our whole crew thinks about it. Yeah, so I have gotten that question a lot. Um, obviously, we've had some people who aren't Asian buy the gear and are sporting it. And um, 
For Michelle, I think she has a different take because she was raised by white parents who were very, very supportive, very, very loving. And so she's like, if someone like my parents want to wear a very Asian hat or T-shirt, a hundred percent, I would support them. Right. Um, and I have been really, um, I think heartened by the conversations that have happened because of this is really tricky. It is really tricky, but, um, I had a friend just like Hugh Lee who said, you know, I have a Black Lives Matter pin and I bought a very Asian um, dumpling hat because it was subtle and I still want to support the movement. Um, mm-hmm. And that made her comfortable doing that, which I was and she's white. And for me, it's like if you're white and you were comfortable doing that 100 percent, I also don't want to get into uh, this realm of purity test because I don't know people I don't know if they are white and have a mixed kid who is Asian. I don't know if um, they were they, you know, had a, a, a life changing experience with um, Asian people who they feel very connected to. I don't know. I don't. There were a lot of conversations as people bought um, some of these uh, items that they were. A quarter Asian didn't look like it was very white passing, but now are identifying as they're uh, now are identifying and examining their Asian parts of themselves. And so for me, who am I to say that you who are uh, white passing cannot wear that? I don't know your story. And so unless I know their story, which we don't know a lot of people's stories who's buying these gear, I'm not going to make an assumption about people because I think that um, the uh, the purity tests aren't helpful. For us, um, we are living in a world that is very diverse. And when we talk about you're, you're white and you can't do this, or you're, you know, like uh, you're indigenous and you can't talk about Hmong people in the ways that you talk about them, like that isn't helpful. So where do we find a balance to make sure that we are embracing and taking in cultures and not just living side by side, but really living together? And that is, that is like the, the hard question. And also I've told people, if you don't feel comfortable wearing it as a white person, you don't have to do it. You can donate to AAJA. You can donate to an AAPA led organization. You don't have to do that and support in that way. I'm glad that you said that because too often we don't encourage folks, uh, to reach out outside of their comfort zone in terms of nonprofit donations. And most, you know, there, there are a lot of folks who don't know about AAPI nonprofits um, and ways that they can support it. But to be able to really proactively turn this into something of empowerment, which is what I have seen it to be just in my limited knowledge, that that's the approach that you and Michelle have undertaken, right? Is that it's about empowering our AAPI community members um, and encouraging others to do that as well. I tried to order my shirt and I'm when I and they're sold out currently, but but you can go and, and support some of the other spaces. But once I get my shirt, I'm aware of proud. And if somebody <laughs> wanna have an issue, I'm here for the conversation. Cause you know, that's 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 the the point. That's what that's that's what it's about. So I'm aware of proud and I and if you got something to say, then come on with it. <laughs> so just keep it in one hundred. Yes, in Anthony. Fact, I'm gonna wear it in the pulpit one of these days giving a sermon. <laughs> you're gonna see you go and show out yes. all the way. Yes. <laughs> It, I kind of agree with, with with Gia's comments about that because it, you know, I I understand, you know, I I think I can understand where the caller was coming from because it it might feel not feel right, 
But if folks are actually in support of this, um, and you know, how are we to know? Because I think what we're, you know, what we're tap dancing around is this question about appropriation. And are you appropriating being very Asian just by buying a t-shirt in support of this movement? I definitely would support this movement and for what Michelle and Gia are doing. And so, and what I wear, you know, if they have a t-shirt that would fit, you know, the size of a sumo wrestler, then I, <laughs> then I'm going to order one. Right. And, and, uh, and I will wear it. Um, does that mean I'm appropriating or being Asian? No, it means I'm in support of it, but I can understand how, that happens because then you know and in our indigenous communities we we have people who who um who will attend some of our ceremonies and then turn around and then become this this theoretical spiritual you know online personality kind of doing you know and and so we have folks who actually do come in and then appropriate what they've what they've learned from us and uh, often in a very bad way. And uh, but in terms of a, a T-shirt, you know, I, I I guess you know while I while I can understand how that can drum up some feelings, I'm really not you know it. That's a tough one. I don't know if it really was crossing that line yeah. or not. It is. It is really tough. And I think the clear line for me would be if there was a white person who took the very Asian. Uh, campaign, made t-shirts for themselves and then sold it, right? Like for profit. That is a clear line for me where I say that is a hundred percent wrong, right? Um, but yes. in, in these other kind of gray areas, I mean, this, this is why we have these conversations because there is no clear, um, idea and thought about how to go about this. And, um, for me, I think I just don't want to make assumptions because I've seen so many of the emails come through of people saying, I'm a quarter Korean. I'm a quarter um, a, a Japanese. And now I'm finally feeling like I can celebrate that part of my identity. But I don't look like Japanese. I don't look Korean. So I think I think that it is really thorny. I mean, if someone had on a very a very Asian T-shirt with a mega hat, then, you know, <laughs> that sends a different kind of message. Right. So, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying you you laugh, but but I encounter folks with very mm -hmm. with that with that exact thing. Exactly. And so I'm, you know, exactly. And, and that, you know, that's what I'm talking about, because, you know, it. it so for me, it's um, it, it sounds like it's a, a wonderful thing. You know, it, it's we're in 2022. Mm -hmm. And we have these things happening. And I'm sure this woman that called and made that initial, left that initial voicemail, felt she was doing nothing wrong whatsoever. Mm -hmm. right. Felt totally empowered uh, being who she was, being raised as a white woman in this country. She f probably felt very empowered that she had the right to not only call to say that, but to say the way she said it. And, and that something and, uh, might come out of it like that. Michelle would have gotten well, reprimanded for saying something like making dumb Exactly. Things. And that's what I'm saying. It's the fact mm -hmm. that, that um, um, people feel empowered that they have the right to be able to say whatever they want to say 
to whoever they want to say it. Um, and that, to me, is a much deeper issue. I do like what you were country. saying, um, Gia, about like the purity, not doing that test, right? Because on the one hand, a lot of us Asian Americans, especially those who um, whose parents were immigrants or refugees to the United States, have faced this kind of culture conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our Asian heritage and trying to fit in with American culture. And so, you know, almost saying like, there's, a, a, as I was growing up, it was like, you're too Asian or you weren't Asian enough. And this kind of feels like if we're trying to dictate who can wear the shirt and who can't, it feels like that again, right? Like I was being told by the Asian kids at school that I wasn't Asian enough. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then I was told by the white kids at school that I was too mm-hmm. Asian. You know, Gia, as this thing grows and it's going to grow, we would love to have you come back and talk about all the things that you're doing um, with the foundation and everything that that's going to come out of it. And we're so proud to have you here in Minnesota and, and joining uh, Michelle in this movement. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really amazing conversation. I've just loved hearing from each and every one of you and um, for your listeners as well. You know, if they ever have any co- questions or comments, hit me up. Uh, I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. I'm Reverend Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church, Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And our, our very special guest today. I'm Gia Vang, a morning anchor at CARE 11, the NBC affiliate here in the Twin Cities. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For a full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.